Chapter Twenty Four of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. Non, si puissant qu'on soit, non, qu'on rit ou qu'on pleure, nul te fait parler, nul ne peut avant l'heure ouvrir ta froid demain. Ô fantôme muet, ô notre ombre, ô notre hôte, spectre toujours masqué qui nous suit côte à côte et qu'on nomme demain all through loo's first day on board the good ship promised land the bustle of departure was at its height the vessel anchored off gravesend midway upon the broad sweep of shining water and exiles who had been determined to get the most out of their own country before departing to a new one joined the ship here passengers were continually arriving and when arrived roamed like restless spirits and went up and down ladders as if perpetual motion had been imposed upon them by the iron hand of the law emigrants struggling under the burden of straw mattresses and emigrants jingling bunches of tin pannikins pervaded the ship from stem to stern first-class passengers who had bought mountains of luggage went distracted on discovering that a cabin would not hold more than its cubical contents most of the passengers wanted the chief part of their possessions on the voyage and many passengers showed more affliction at being severed from the trunks and packing-cases that were shovelled into the hold than at parting from their friends on shore second-class passengers expressed their surprise at not being accommodated with bedrooms and sitting-rooms of twenty feet by fifteen and proceeded to wall themselves in with their belongings as if they had been egyptian mummies about to be withdrawn from the light of day for a few centuries the young men immigrants loafed at their end of the deck smoking short pipes and wishing themselves fairly under way in the family cabin midships the emigrants were collected in little groups father mother and baby and three or four small children seated at a narrow deal table in the low between decks looking comfortable enough and the children seeming hardly to wonder at their strange surroundings but however many were to be found in the cabins the perpetual motion on deck the continuous tramping up and down ladders went on just the same the young women were allowed to promenade the poop deck and from this elevated position louisa gurner surveyed the little world below her thoughtfully the child emigrant had found new friends a family midships where there were children a little younger than herself and loo was quite alone alone and strangely sad as the day wore on and she thought of that waste of unknown sea that she was going to put between her and the man she loved the desire to escape from the chilling atmosphere of thurlow house had been strong enough to sustain the fugitive up to this point emigration considered as an escape from that dull life had seemed a grand thing but now that she had taken the desperate step enrolled herself in the band of voluntary exiles emigration the subject of many a girlish dream seemed not a little dreary it meant lifelong severance from walter leyburne nay eternal parting for if she did not remain dear to him on earth would he seek her in heaven and he had loved her the cup of bliss had been offered to her lips and she had rejected it she remembered that night in the lonely moonlit road when he had flung wisdom to the winds and asked her yes entreated her louisa gurner to be his wife she had been heroic enough to answer no for she knew that passion prompted him and she would not yield to a prayer which he might remember with remorse to-morrow in that one hour loo had been stronger than her lover sublimely unselfish in the exaltation of that hour she had thought for him and not for herself she had considered his interests his future and had refused him the love that might have been a burden and a hindrance in days to come she was weak as water to-day 
as she looked across the bright broad river to the shore that she might never tread again he was so fond of me she thought he did love me better than he ever loved that perfect young lady in fitzroy square but i couldn't bear that he should marry any one so common as i and change his mind some day and be sorry to think that he had been caught in a trap perhaps by an artful woman no i only did what was right and then came the thought that she would never see him again that rash young dreamer that ardent lover never again the life of that one summer's day never live at all any more for life was something less than life without walter she thought how years hence twenty years perhaps she might come back to england a decent middle-aged woman who had succeeded pretty well in some humble fashion and how she would find herself in an altered city where the streets and public buildings had lost their old familiar aspect and how she would wander about in search of walter leyburne only to steal a look at his life from the outside no more she would see him famous happy a husband and father look at him from among the crowd herself unknown unnoticed and then go back over the wide waters content to have gone once round the world for the bitter sweetness of that moment her father too the father who had treated her so hardly even of him this foolish lou could not think without sharpest pangs of regret all the love of early years came back in this pain of parting the days when the careless vagabond father had been all her narrow world when his presence had meant life and movement his absence a dull blank when the sound of his full baritone voice singing snatches of italian opera as he worked made her glad when to watch him dabbing sponging and varnishing at a dirty deal-table littered with oily rags and dirty bottles was the chief delight of her life there had been no walter then her father had seemed just the cleverest handsomest most delightful man in the world true that the atmosphere had become overcharged with electricity now and then or that in vulgar parlance there had been rows reproaches recriminations between mother and son hard words unsavoury epithets even these had not hardened lou's heart against her father she had flung herself into the breach many a time when her grandmother's reproaches were bitterest and stood by her father and denied the justice of mrs gurner's accusations but that was all over now she would never see the vagabond father again never sit like cinderella among the ashes on a winter's night darning jared's dilapidated socks and listening to the words of wit or wisdom which dropped from his lips now and then between two puffs of tobacco how often she had gone into the wet muddy street in pouring rain to fetch him beer or tobacco and had not deemed the service ignoble what pleasure it had been when he was pleased with the cooking of his savoury supper and gave her a careless word of praise all over now while she looked across the broad river towards gravesend with its background of green hills her mind's eye beheld the back parlour in boise street and that picture of a home gone from her for ever as she thought took brightness from the sense of loss she saw the scene not in its dull reality but in the colours that it borrowed from her regret she went down to the young woman's cabin by and by and sat at one of the narrow deal tables to write a letter on a sheet of paper begged from an obliging young immigrant lou's scanty outfit did not include writing materials she wrote to her father briefly but with affection telling him how deep the wrong he had done her when he shut his door upon her forgiving him that undeserved cruelty and telling him where she was going mr leyburne has been all that is kind and generous she wrote and has tried to make a lady of me by sending me to a boarding-school but our free and easy ways at home had spoiled me for such a life as that 
and i thought it would be better for me to go out to australia and get my own living like my aunt mary whom you so seldom speak of than to waste mr leyburne's money by staying where i was miserable don't be angry with me father for taking my own way in life without asking advice from you and grandmother when you shut your door upon me that night i felt that i was alone in the world i shall always remember you with love always regret this parting tell grandmother i forgive her for every bitter word she ever said to me i shall think of her at her kindness good-bye good-bye tears made the end almost illegible loo held her head low down over the paper ashamed that happier emigrants should see her weakness she carried her letter up on deck and where the confusion was wildest at the yawning mouth of the hold an abyss into which stores were being lowered she found mr swan who good-naturedly promised to get her letter posted by the first emissary he sent on shore this was in the afternoon the promised land was still lying off gravesend to sail early next morning the day wore on mr swan went on shore with loo's letter it might reach voysey street that night but too late for jared to follow his runaway daughter even if he were inclined she had not told him the name of the ship that was to carry her away he wouldn't wish to fetch me back she thought somewhat sadly even if he hadn't turned me out of doors he would have been glad enough to get rid of me what do poor people want with children a child means a mouth to be filled feet to be shod a body to be clothed somehow grandmother will miss me most on account of the housework and it'll seem dull to her without any one to nag at but she can get a girl to come in for an hour or so of a morning for eighteen pence a week and she won't have the girl to feed always so there'll be something saved anyhow easy to slip the cable of family ties and drift away into the new life where the bark was so lightly anchored yet wretched as the old life was loo regretted it more and more keenly as the day wore on again the sense of desolation which she had felt at thurlow house came back to her the people about her were not unfriendly there was no scorn in the looks that met hers on board the promised land but they had all their own ties their own hopes their own troubles their own joys she belonged to no one and she was a plant of deeper root than the child immigrant she could not be so easily transferred to a new soil she stayed on deck till nightfall gazing at those green hills with the foreground of roofs and chimneys many-coloured in the declining light gazed as a fallen angel might gaze at the paradise from which she was banished how lovely the english landscape seemed to the exile's eye she who had seen so little of her native land whose knowledge of its beauties went no farther than epping hampstead and that never-to-be-forgotten glimpse of the fair villages beside the thames beheld this wide sweep of river those verdant kentish hills with rapture this was the land she was going to leave her heart yearned towards that english coast as if it had been a living thing night closed in lights began to twinkle here and there in the shadowy town there a bright line that showed the lamp-lit street there the ruddier gleam of household fires the exile's heart sickened as she thought how long it would be ere she would again see lights as homelike and friendly how for weeks and months to come life would be illumined only by the regulation lamps of the promised land how her way would be over the barren waste of waters journeying among strangers to a strange land there had been a good many visitors to the ship in the course of the day an army of explorers urged by an amiable curiosity about the ways and means of immigrants combined with a natural desire for a day's outing and a good dinner 
ladies of a philanthropic turn had pried and peered and wondered and exclaimed until some of the emigrants had gone so far as to say that seasickness would be a relief after this kind of thing there had been feasting and high jinks in the cuddy healths drunk speeches made and an immense deal of conviviality among people who were not going to make the voyage and who were somewhat inclined to regard the promised land as a floating tavern where there was no reckoning a pays de cocagne upon the waters the festivities were nearly over now darkness only soft summer darkness had descended on the deck lamps were lighted in the cuddy where the visitors determined to get all they could out of the vessel were drinking tea prior to departure the boats were waiting at the bottom of the accommodation ladder to convey these strangers back to gravesend bobbing gently up and down with the movement of the light waves loo from her post on the poop looked down at the boats and heard the voices of the visitors through the open skylight of the cuddy they are not going to leave england she thought sadly as the sound of their laughter grew louder her heart was growing heavier as the hours wore on she had never contemplated the possibility of drawing back yet that pain at her heart grew sharper now that the step she had taken seemed irrevocable an official was going his round among the emigrants to collect the second half of their passage money he would come to her presently and then only four pounds would remain to her out of walter's parting gift her eyes still fondly turned towards that mother country she was about to abandon the shore grew darker the hills almost melted into the soft gloom of night the lights twinkled more gaily dear old england said loo to think that i should be so fond of it to think that i should care even for voysey street which i used to abuse so often while i lived there the visitors emerged from the cabin hilarious but somewhat fearful of the unknown without the narrow ways midships fairly lighted by a lantern here and there the yawning abyss opening to realms below the general insecurity of footing kindly officers helped the strangers up ladders there was a great deal of confusion in getting the departing guests together young ladies shrieked their loudest urged by playfulness or timidity strong arms were in request mr swan quoted shakespeare at a positively bewildering rate in the crowd and bustle and mingled alarm and hilarity no one observed a slim dark figure which was alien to the visitors the party was large and everybody supposed that plainly dressed young woman with a veil drawn tightly across her face belonged to somebody else she was handed down the accommodation ladder without a word of interrogation took her place among other young women in the crowded boat looked back at the ship towering high above her as the boat shot off and a hearty cheer rose from the darkness of the deck a friendly farewell to the departing guests the gentlemen were talkative and even noisy during the brief transit the ladies held their peace and had faint suggestions of seasickness no one observed the strange young woman till they were all landing when as soon as her foot touched the shore the damsel stepped swiftly away and vanished in the darkness of the night who was that asked one of the party wondering at this abrupt departure they were all bound for the railway station and intended to keep together till they arrived there i don't know i'm sure i thought she was with you answered another some friend of one of the passengers perhaps i suppose so and no one thought any more about the strange young woman the strange young woman was that child of impulse louisa gurner just at the final moment when the last of the visitors were being hustled down the ladder a wild longing to return had seized her she sprang lightly down the steps from the poop and ran to the gangway 
was grasped by a strong-armed sailor and hoisted on to the ladder and had taken her seat in the boat before any one had time to ask who she was as she had fled from the advantages of humane letters so she fled from the benefits of emigration and leaving half her passage money and all her little stock of clothing behind her turned her back upon the good ship promised land and all the chances of fortune that might have awaited her in england's youngest and sturdiest colony she ran for some little way after leaving the landing-place having some vague fear that she might be pursued and taken back to the ship by force that ticket which she had received in exchange for her eight sovereigns might in some manner bind her to the queensland government to take the first step in emigration might be as fatal as to take the queen's shilling about half a mile from the water's edge she paused breathless and looked about her she was in a dark road just outside gravesend not a creature within sight no sound of pursuit alone under the still dark night she began to breathe more freely felt that she was verily free not bound apprentice either to education or immigration free to go whither she listed free to go back to voysey street yes it all came to that it was the old shabby sordid home for which her soul languished the old domestic affection the home in which she had first seen walter leyburne i shall see him again she said to herself no wide sea shall roll between us no ship shall carry me away from him i forgot how much i love him when i thought that i could bear my life beyond reach of him i only want to see him now and then she thought of the father who had turned her out of doors not the most hopeful prospect in the world perhaps returned to such a father but loo was not dispirited even by this thought she remembered that jared gurner's anger though violent had ever been brief doubtless he had many a time repented himself of his injustice since that memorable night he would not shut his door upon her again or at the worst if he did she could find a lodging in voysey street she could learn dressmaking she could go out charring she could do something for a living no labour would lack sweetness if she but stayed in the land that held her lover it was late by this time she did not like to go to the railway station lest she should meet people from the ship and find herself delivered over to some emissary of the queensland government to be carried off willy-nilly like those victims who were kidnapped for the west indian plantations in the good old times so she walked on thinking of home and walter and happy along the lonely high road till the late moon rose and beheld her on the top of gad's hill whence she looked down wonderingly over the fair sweep of landscape the broad winding river shining under that summer moon she had walked a good many miles but had hardly any sense of fatigue and pushed on bravely seeing no house where she could seek a night's shelter till she came very late into stroud so late that she was not a little fearful of having to wander about all night the nights were short happily and she could go back to london next morning by the earliest train that left the station yes it was too late to seek for shelter it was morning already the sonorous bell of rochester cathedral tolled one as louisa entered the humble outskirts of stroud too late for bed or supper or refreshment of any kind stroud was silent as a street of tombs lou was tired but made up her mind placidly enough to stroll about till the station was open and she could find a friendly shelter in the waiting-room she went upon the bridge and stood looking at the river the hills the tall gloomy walls of rochester castle how fair all appeared in the moonlight and this was the land she had been so eager to leave yesterday morning thank god she ejaculated as she gazed with wide rapturous eyes at the varied prospect 
I would rather go about in a cart and sell brooms than leave England. She lingered on the bridge and then walked slowly through the silent town, interested, pleased by the novel scene and with no sense of desolation in that lonely walk in the middle watch of the night. Her vigorous mind was not dependent on commonplace companionship for pleasure. The mere strangeness and great beauty of the old town were enough to satisfy her. Her soul was full of a placid joy. She was going back to Voysey Street, and she would see Walter again. That thought sustained her. She felt neither the faintness of hunger nor the awful loneliness of the night. She went round the cathedral, looking up at its dark walls, and walked through narrow ways where there are grave, sober-looking old houses of medieval type, to the Maidstone Road, then in the cold grey morning made her way back to the town and to the station. There was an early train for London, a train that started a few minutes after five. Lou took a third-class ticket. She was chary of spending her money lest she should have to begin the world on that small fortune, and found herself among labouring men in smock-frocks and market-garden women who got in and out at every small station. The journey seemed long to lose impatience. There were so many stoppages, so much delay, and she yearned so for the end of her journey. How would they greet her, those two on whom alone she had the claim of kindred? As the end came nearer, doubt she had not known before arose to torment her. That bitter memory of Jared's repudiation of her took a darker color. What if there should be no welcome for her? Only silence, stern, averted looks, condemnation. Her absence might give ground for the vilest suspicions. Her father might refuse to hear her explanation. At the worst there was Walter. He would not misjudge her yet even he would be angry at this foolish escapade he had taken so much trouble to place her in the right path and might hardly forgive her for deserting it the future grew cloudy as the train drew nearer london almost as if her thoughts took their colour from the smoke-tainted sky it was early when she came out of the station into the street where huge wagons were rumbling by cabs shooting among them and the noise of life already begun not too early for an omnibus she found one to convey her as far as tottingham court road whence it was an easy walk to voysey street her spirits sank still lower during that slow progress through the town with its everlasting stoppages takings up and settings down it was a relief to leave the omnibus and pursue her journey on foot tired as she was with last night's wanderings for now at least there was nothing but her own weakness to delay her progress even now the way seemed long but at last at last she entered the shabby old street whose width of carriage-way was usurped by disreputable-looking fowls birds which from the proud races of spain and dorking had degenerated into london arabs ragged cochin chinas too which looked shabby and degraded like overworked dromedaries how familiar the scene appeared and yet how strange after the month's absence which seemed like an absence of years if she had been returning from india after ten years exile she could hardly have been more deeply moved at sight of her childhood's home it was nine o'clock breakfast time for the more luxurious and bohemian among the inhabitants jared's breakfast time in ordinary after a late night he was wont to breakfast at noon or perchance to dispense with that meal altogether the well-known door whose threshold she had hearthstoned so often stood open to the summer air there was a half-glass door inside, with a cracked alarm-bell communicating with the shop. There hung the two familiar stock-in-trade, the plum-coloured satin, the mangy sable tippet, the ragged limerick lace shawl, the black velvet mantle with shiny streaks here and there like the track of an errant snail, 
mantle much begimped and befringed the trimmings were worth all the money mrs gurner said the passage smelt of bloaters jared's customary relish at this time of year that odour of bloaters and coffee and buttered toast intensified loose hunger she had eaten nothing since the afternoon meal on board the promised land and had been in the open air for the last fifteen hours she went along the little bit of dusky passage and opened the back parlour door not all at once did she venture to go in but stood on the threshold contemplating the home picture presented to her gaze the press bedstead had been turned up hastily whereby a blanket of dubious colour oozed out of the ill-closed structure a tall tin coffee-pot simmered on a trivet in front of the small grate a bloater of aldermanic dimensions hissed and spluttered in the frying-pan a plate of substantial buttered toast basked in the genial glow of the fire jared in shirt-sleeves a pair of ancient morocco slippers that had once been crimson lolled in the big armchair reading the daily telegraph while the bloater fried and the toast in mrs gurner's phrase mellowed the lady herself was standing before a chest of drawers engaged in the interesting occupation of curling her front hair which being of a convenient and adaptable form was tied on to the handle of a drawer to give purchase for the brush and comb the place of this essential attribute of lovely women was supplied meanwhile by a frilled nightcap with a red and yellow bandana handkerchief tied across it which mrs gurner was wont to wear when in deshabille father said loo appealingly after a moment's pause jared flung down his paper sprang to his feet crossed the room in two strides and took his daughter in his arms my girl my poor lass he cried thank god you've come back i was a brute loo but i meant it for your good i thought i was making your fortune i thought it was the safest way to make him marry you straight off the reel you almost broke my heart father mine hasn't been uncommonly easy since that night loo and when i got your letter by post this morning to tell me you'd emigrated following the example of your poor aunt mary sighed mrs gurner who had left the ringlets to hang unfinished from the knob to which she had attached them well i thought that was about the worst turn fate had done me yet loo and are you really glad to have me back father and may i stop with you and keep your place tidy as i used to do of course my girl sit down and eat your breakfast you'll poison the place if you let that bloater burn any longer mother added mr gurner whose nostrils were offended by an unpleasant odour of frizzled fish loo sat down by her father as she had been wont to do in the sunniest days of her past when fortune had favoured jared with a transient smile and his temper was at its best but before she could eat she must ask one question have you seen mr Labrin lately father no child that's a long story and a painful one i'd rather tell it to you by and by the happy look faded out of loo's face is there anything wrong father i thought it all seemed too happy coming home like this and you glad to see me is there anything wrong with him something very much wrong loo is he ill no answer but looks interchanged between jared and his mother is he dead still no answer jared looked away from the questioner and spoke not a word loo flung up her arms with a cry of agony and turned her face to the wall. End of chapter 24